Hi, this is Sean Benson from Harvest Church in Warrensburg, Missouri. I want to thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. For more resources, log on to harvestwarrensburg.com. June being the LGBT month, you know, we kind of started a series. It's a, it'll be a short series, but we started that last week, and, and we hit a few, I think, pretty critical uh, scriptures and it's some pretty critical thought last week. Uh, those of you who weren't with us, uh, everything that we do is, is online. I would encourage you to go back because we, we laid some pretty solid foundation. And I, I, I would go so far as to say that we really don't need to say anything more. Some of you don't believe me, I guess. <laughs> We're going to have to resurrect the amen circle. I'm going to need some help today. You know, I don't, think we need to, I don't think we need to know anything more. And as I presented last week, often over the years, when I've wanted to, again, rediscover the will of God as it relates to his initial intention for man, you know, I just, I go back to Genesis. You know, what was it like? What was the husband and wife's relationship like in the beginning before sin came in and tainted everything and the curse came with it, right? You know, and, and we see in the very beginning that God created humanity he created, like male and female, he created them. Isn't that what we learned last week? So we see God's original intent. God created only two genders. They were biologically and literally emotionally and structurally and wiring-wise completely different and yet very similar human beings, if you want to say it that way. But on the heels of the creation of those two very specific and biologically distinct genders, he also then not only endorsed but created this institution that we call marriage, which is why some Christians are so upset about marriage and things being redefined by the government, right? Because God actually was the original definer of what is or what isn't marriage. And we learned last week that his definition of marriage is that of a biological male and a biological female, that who he had created. And here's the thing. The only way that they're able to fulfill what comes next. Do you know what came next? He, he created the male and he created the female, right? And then he commissioned them, didn't he? He commissioned them. So in other words, he said, I'm releasing power and authority to you to accomplish my will on the earth, and this is my will, that you would go forth, that you would multiply, that you would subdue the earth, that you would fill it. I want to submit to you in reiteration of last week that the only way that this is possible is for a biological male and a biological female to come together in covenant union. We call that marriage, marriage that God designed, okay? It's only through this avenue that we have the ability to fulfill the commission of God in the earth. Okay, so this is his design. This is the word of God. I don't think there's much more that we really need to say about this subject. We just have to rewind ourselves back to the original intent of God. And how many of you know that God always gives grace where he calls? That God is not the kind of God who dangles a carrot out in front of us and we're on the perpetual life treadmill, never able to actually get what he's saying we should be able to get. And it's all just a ruse just to get you to run faster, right? Like that's not the God that we serve. If you see any commandment in scripture, with it comes the grace necessary to be able to fulfill that command. We learned that from Pastor Todd here a few weeks ago, didn't we? Right? Like, so when we, when we see this commission by God, God is also with it get releasing the grace and the instruction manual for how we would be able to fulfill that commandment. And again, there's only one way to do that, and that is through a biological male and a biological female coming together 
and holy matrimony. Eh? How many of you know that we need the Word of God as the plumb line of our life? Otherwise, we will be tossed to and fro by every cultural wind of doctrine. Every new thing that there is, we will just be swayed to and fro. But you know, God never changes, nor does He change His mind. And what He does and what He says is for your and my benefit. From day one till now, He's saying the same thing, and it is for our benefit. We could call that benefit life in abundance. So the way that you get to life in abundance, number one, is to do what he says or to refine your life until it looks like what he said, right? And again, we talked about some of that instruction last week. So the, this morning, I, I, I want to jump off in kind of part two, which I suspect to be the conclusion of maybe the more uh, scholarly, I, I suppose you could say, approach you know, to this subject. And today would be even more scholarly, if you will you know, perhaps than what last week was, although last week was pretty amazing. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just teasing, but it really was, no. Yeah, you know, and so, so the, the teacher in me is, is going to come out a, a little bit this morning. I, I would ask you if that's okay, except, it, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want anyway. So that's what we're doing this morning. And, and the word that is defined homosexual in the New Testament is a word that has come under much scrutiny uh, over the, particularly the last probably five years. I, I would guess it's probably uh, been under scrutiny uh, for much longer than that. But of course, it's come to our attention you know, uh, much more recently. Uh, and, and, and the idea is that if we can... Let me say it a different way. The idea, I suppose, is this, that we have mistranslated the word, that the word has been translated essentially with bias by Greek scholars, you know, and thus written incorrectly uh, in the New Testament. And, and if we can prove that that sentiment is true, you know, then we can effectively eliminate a large number of the scriptures in the New Testament that speak otherwise against the homosexual lifestyle, okay? And so I would submit to you, church, remember what we started out with, that we have to have and understand why we believe what we believe. Why do we believe what we believe? And we can't just stand on church tradition, right? And so, so this is where rubber meets road, because in some ways, if you could disprove that this word means homosexual, then you would have to, in a sense, throw out all of the scriptures. They would mean something other than what we have come to believe that they mean, and so it's a valid argument in the sense that it's worth taking a second look at and excavating, again, the truth of those scriptures to determine, well, what exactly does it mean? What did the original authors intend when they used that word? And have scholars, have Greek scholars uh, intentionally or unintentionally translated the word with bias based on our own cultural ideas? right? And thus we've come to very wrong conclusions. How many of you know these are really, really good questions, and they're questions that we church have to have an answer for? How many of you know that the Bible can be used to say largely anything that we want it to say? Y- you all right? Because that was the part where you responded with, yes, we know what you're saying. You're amazing. You know, I'm going to cry up here because, you know, I need a little more help. You know, I mean, how many of you ladies, how many of you know, by the way, women, the most persecuted, I don't know that a minority group is the right term for it, but maybe you're still a minority, you know, so let's call it that, the, the most persecuted minority group on the planet, 
You know, how many of you know that churches still till today, you know, are, discriminate against women and don't allow them to participate in most ministry activities? Well, unless you just want to do children's stuff, right? How many of you know that they use the Bible to come to that conclusion, Right? So similarly, as it relates to that issue, like we need to know what the Bible says. And listen, the Apostle Paul says some pretty harsh things about women, seemingly. <laughs> seemingly. I've got a couple of you know, sermon series, if you're interested, on that subject where we dive into that in great depth. But my point is that it was worthy of a second look, wasn't it, women? Yeah. Right? You know, and, and if you're struggling with LGBT, I would say, then yeah, it's worthy of a second look, isn't it? <laughs> right? And, and we, church, have to be willing, if you will, to change our mind if we find out that the Bible says something different than what tra- church tradition has always said it was supposed to say. Now, you know, from last week, we laid some foundation. If you weren't with us, go look at that again. We laid some foundation you know, and, and obviously we believe that the, that the Bible has been properly interpreted. But this morning I wanted to dive in because the word again, the word homosexual as it's translated in the New Testament has come under particular scrutiny. And, and to be honest, like I, I would usually never, a lot of times you, we have this conversation about the LGBT and, and people go straight to the book of Leviticus. Like, have you read Leviticus? Have you read? You know, it's like, you know, you, you can't so... You know, you can't sew checked pattern on, I don't even, like flower, I don't know what this is, but you can't do that. You can't sew these two things together because, like, God will burn up your whole world and your house will cave into a, a, a collapse of fire. It, you know what I mean? You're just like, well, this is a weird book. I don't even, right? And, and so it's like, can I just submit to you that when, 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 when people on the other side kind of go, you can't use Leviticus because if you use Leviticus, you have to use all this other crazy stuff that's in there. Can I just say they got a good point? They've got a good point, but I would also submit to you, they don't fully understand the scriptures or, or the use of Leviticus. So while I would usually, under no circumstances, point to the book of Leviticus, I actually want to point to it today, and I want to talk to you a little bit about this word that the Apostle Paul used. Did you know that he actually apparently coined the word? That is now translated homosexual. It's the word, you saw it on the board there. It's the word arsenokoite. Like he actually made it up apparently. There is no record on the earth of anybody ever using this word before the apostle Paul uttered it in scripture. It's, that gives me permission to do a lot of crazy stuff. I can make up all kinds of words. I'm going to call Webster's Dictionary right now. We're going to get some words that are like in there. Like flambustable. <laughs> I just made that up right now, but it's good. You can use that. Right? The Apostle Paul made up the word. And so, so the question is, again, we're, we're looking at this premise like, well, like if, if, if the Apostle Paul made up the word, we have to begin to ask the right questions of the text. Like, what would he have intended then? Like, we're talking about a text that's 2,000 years old, right? Like, what would he have intended? Like, he just, he just pull it out of thin air? Like, where would he have come up with these words? Where would he have come up with the idea for this? Uh, and and here's, a, here's a better question, perhaps. And what would the original audience have thought of the word that he used, of which translators later called homosexuality? Like, what would the original audience, like, if it's a word that you made up, like flambustable, I can imagine, even though that's a crazy word, immediately, because you understand my language, you've got a pretty good idea of what I'd be talking about. Some of you are like, I have no idea what he's saying. 
it's, it's okay. It's all right, you know. It's, it's okay. But I got a few of you. It's good. So I would suggest to you that, that when the Apostle Paul made up this word, by the way, it's actually the conjunction of, of two different common Greek words. You know, so they've been merged together into one word, just so that you're, you have a little more understanding of what we're talking about. When the Apostle Paul would have used this word or made up this word, I would suggest to you that the people who would have heard it would have had an immediate language context and understanding then for what he was talking about. Okay, so you can see from the screen there, you can see kind of the, let's look at the next slide. So we've got the word homosexual, this is the Greek 733 for you scholars right? It's, it's actually made up of two different words. Uh, rewind back to the previous slide for me. Sorry, we're going to dance around a little bit. There you go. As you can see from here, here's the definition, right? It's from Greek 730, and it's from Greek 2845, okay? Right? Okay, the definition, a sodomite, an abuser, one who defiles oneself with mankind, one who lies with another male as with a female, a homosexual, this is what your Greek books will tell you that this word means. It's a compound word joining this word and this word. Now take a look at the next slide for me. So here we go. see again, Greek 730 and the Greek 2845, right? It's combining the word man with the word bed or marriage bed, okay? Arsen koite, you can see it there, arsen koite. The word translated homosexual is arsenokoite. Okay, it's a combination of two common Greek words. You know, again, one being a male and the other one being the marriage bed. Is this clear enough so far? Is it too scholarly or are we doing okay? <laughs> it's important for us to know and understand what the Bible has to say, right? Did the translators get it right or did they not? And where in the world would the Apostle Paul have gotten the idea to create a brand new compound word. And this is where the book of Leviticus comes from. Okay, Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 22, listen to this. It says, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Now, many would look at this and they would say, yes, but you, you can't use Leviticus. We've just touched on this. You can't use Leviticus because it's specifically talking about priests in the Old Testament. It's specifically talking about the Jews. And there's a lot of crazy stuff in there. Yes, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of crazy stuff in there. But how many of you know that the Old Testament wasn't just entirely thrown out when Jesus raised from the dead? Right? And the, the, the book of the law, uh, by the way, which like, is literally the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, which the, the early church would have had full access to, that, that this book of the law, actually, that Jesus didn't come to abolish it. He came to fulfill it. And in the New Testament, it goes so far as to say that the law is now written on our hearts. So the law didn't necessarily go anywhere if it's on my heart, did it? So what does that mean? That means that all of us are now born with an inherent understanding of right and wrong. Think about that one. The law of God is written on our hearts. Much of what we find in the law, or what some have relegated to like the moral law, though those distinctions aren't necessarily made scripturally, you know, much of what we find in there actually transfers into the New Testament. Let me give you one small example. How many of you think that murder is a good thing for today? Yeah, that's good. That's good. Do you think human beings made it up? Like, yeah, you know what? Just killing people, that's a bad thing. You know? That's, 
I think probably in our current culture, human beings are beginning to question whether killing another human being is a good or a bad thing. Of euthanasia all the way to abortion, all of a sudden killing human beings is a front-running issue now, isn't it? <laughs> I, we, like, we need a plumb line to help us think like God, right? And thou shalt not murder, by the way, came straight from Old Testament law. The law and the system that you have in place right now that we benefit from in the United States is actually based upon the Old Testament law. And it goes on and on from there. This is one simple example. So my point is simply to say the law isn't abolished. The law in so many aspects aptly applies to our life. And by the way, the New Testament actually helps us parse through some of the things that absolutely do apply and some of the things that don't. Right? It just so happens in this case that in Leviticus 18, it references the lifestyle of homosexuality. Right? And obviously, Leviticus references a lot of other things, but I want to submit to you that in this case, the Apostle Paul actually grabbed this exact scripture and pulled it into the New Testament and gave it the stamp of New Testament kingdom approval. Okay, we're going to talk about that here in just a second. But how many of you know the Apostle Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that we read? The Apostle Paul had a third heaven encounter with God himself where he got the download for much of what we understand about the New Testament and the kingdom today. Right? The Apostle Paul, it says of him that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and unlike our culture today, would have had probably all or the majority of the Old Testament Pentateuch, the law, memorized. Right? So he would have had, like, like the, of anybody who would have had knowledge of the law and the Old Testament, like this was the guy. This was the best of the best. He says it of himself. There was nobody better than me. I'm amazing. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was born from the right people. I was zealous more than any of my peers. Like I was, I was by the way, Paul was short. <laughs> I just want to throw that in there. You know, I'm guessing probably very good looking. You know, just, just throwing that in there. You know, but he was, he was the best of the best. If anybody understood the Old Testament and if anybody understood the law and how it would have uh, applied to our New Testament, our new covenant life, it was the Apostle Paul. At the time that Jesus walked the earth and thus the apostles, the Bible that they would have had access to was called the Septuagint. Anybody know what the Septuagint is? The Septuagint is the Old Testament, first five books of the Bible, you know, but written in Greek, not Hebrew. Like, did you know that the Bible that Jesus quoted from and the disciples likewise was actually a Greek Bible, again, called the Septuagint, right? So here's the good news. Uh, you and I today, we also have access to the Greek Septuagint. Okay, you know, okay. there's not nearly enough nerds in here, you know. <laughs> So not nearly. We have access to the Greek Septuagint. I want to look at that. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. In the Septuagint, the Bible that they would have actually been reading from. And here's what it says. We can actually look at it on the board. It says, and with a man. Here you can see our Greek word again. So the same exact word is used. You shall not go to bed in a marriage bed in the feminine way. It goes on to say it's an abomination, Right? What I want to point out, of course, you can see all the Greek letters because this is the Greek version of the Old Testament. You know, so we have access to, to a, uh, just a, an immense amount of understanding to the Greek language. This is the Bible that they would have had. This is the Bible that they would have quoted from. And interestingly, we find in this a man, arson in the Greek, 
You know, shall not lay in a marriage bed, koite in the Greek. Arson, okoite. The, the Apostle Paul is actually doing a deep dive into the book of Leviticus, and he's extracting these two words, which until he spoke it weren't compound, but were separate, and he's merging them together. And as he merges the word from Leviticus together, so too he merges the sentiment. The moment the Apostle Paul merged those two words together into one compound word, a senokoite, the moment that he did that, he validated this scripture and all of the belief system that's behind it, and he gave it his New Testament, New Kingdom, New Covenant stamp of approval and said this part of the law transfers from the Old Testament to the New. So our question is, like, where did this word come from? Did they mistranslate it? You know, what would the original audience have understood of this word uh, in its original usage when the Apostle Paul made up flame buster or whatever it was? You know, when when he made this word up, when he brought these two words together, what would they have understood unequivocally? They would have understood this. Because that's where these words are sourced. Does this make sense so far? There's absolutely no question, it would seem, as we see these words side by side in the book of Leviticus chapter 8. I usually wouldn't use Leviticus, but in the case of this specific word that's under such contention, it actually finds its source in that very book. You should find that significant. In addition to the, the source of it, having been found in Leviticus 18. We also look historically at the usage of the word, particularly the usage of the word koite. Right? By the way, uh, what I'm inadvertently teaching you is how to study your Bible at a greater depth. Uh, this is what we do. We look at context clues. We, look, we ask these questions. What would the original audience have understood when these things were said? What, is the, what does the Greek and or the Hebrew word mean? What did the, if we have a little, if there's a little bit of, if it's a little bit vague in the Bible on a particular word, then we would go to Greek culture. We would begin to excavate from, old, uh, from extra biblical texts. How did the Greek culture understand the use of these words? Like this is how we actually translate or understand the translations of the Bible. Too much? And the word koite, actually, uh, if you want to, how many of you like English? Oh, you're going to love Greek even more. (laughs) All three of you, you're getting your English lesson and your Greek lesson all at the same time. So koite, uh, in every case in which it was used in a compound fashion, meaning the, the, the merging of some other concept with koite, every single time, koite would point and become the object, is that right? The I said that the exact opposite. The first word in the compound would actually become the object, uh, in this case, of the sleeping. So quote meant to sleep in the man's marriage bed, in a sense. Okay? It would point to the word that would give you the context of that sleeping. For example, dulo koite means sleeping with slaves. You know, there's all kinds of examples like this. This is just one, just to get you thinking. So again, so we're, you're sleeping with what? The first word and the compound word actually denotes, again, the object of the sleeping with. You're sleeping with slaves. In our case, you have arseno, man, koite, sleeping with, in the marriage bed. So you're sleeping with men. Now, some opponents have said, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. That's good scholarship. But what you're adding to the text 
is the homosexual part because the word itself just means sleeping with men. And that's valid, okay? It's good for us to be challenged and to look back. It's good for us to make sure that we're right in a certain assessment of the scripture. So that's a great question. You know, let's, let's dive into that. And I would suggest to you that by, that, 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 that particular claim uh, would, number one, ignore the fact that the word itself is, so, is sourced rather in Leviticus. So it ignores that entirely. Where did this word come from? What would it have meant in the original culture? By the way, like this is normal, what we call exegesis. This would be the normal process for understanding Scripture at a deeper level. So in other words, the opponents of what I'm now saying actually are not following the God-given pattern for how we all study and understand Scripture. They're ignoring the basic principles of it. Okay, but not ignoring the basic principles, we would have to go, let me say it a different way. They would be ignoring what we just talked about in terms of it being sourced in Leviticus, but they're also ignoring the context of this word's usage in the entirety of the New Testament. And let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, you know, maybe a standard go-to verse. And here's what it says. It says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such, listen, were, such were some of you. Listen, there's hope in the gospel today. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Now, we see here a short list of lifestyles that would be condemned by Scripture. And on the short list is the lifestyle of homosexuality. That is our word, arsenokoite. But here's what I want you to see. If you continue to read the chapter, it becomes abundantly clear that this, and and, and like much of the New Testament, that this book, that this chapter particularly, was written almost as if exclusively to men. Now, listen, women, it does not exclude you from the text. You know when it talks about the sons of God, it's just as well talking about the daughters of God. So it's not to exclude women, but my point is this. He's writing it to men as if exclusively masculine. A little later, it begins to talk about, uh, you know, uh, giving your bodies to prostitutes. It's talking about a female prostitute. He's speaking as if speaking exclusively to men. Okay, so if the word arsenokoite, if it actually means narrowly, just simply promiscuity among men. If it just narrowly means men sleeping in the marriage bed inappropriately or what we would call fornication. If that's what it means narrowly, you have to understand that the context of the New Testament scripture ultimately drives us to the same conclusion. Because it's talking to men. So in other words, it's saying, hey men, don't sleep in a man's bed. There's no way around it. That's the context of the New Testament scripture. (laughs) Y'all right? Is this a lot? (laughs) Maybe this is a lot. Here's the second thing I want to point out. You know, we would call, I mean, what would would be the word, maybe biblically, because maybe you don't use it very often in your own speech. What's the word that we use for sleeping around outside of marriage? Those are all right. You didn't get it right, but they were right. Hey, we got a live one. Fornication. <laughs> it's fornication, right? 
No, sleeping around outside of marriage, we would, that's how we would otherwise define it as fornication. Outside of every other evidence that I've given you, which is substantial, you know, when you look at the list of prohibitions in the scripture, the Apostle Paul begins to break down, so that we would understand it clearly, various kinds of sexual immorality. Literally, he's going, he's like, I mean, start at, start at, at the beginning again. You know, he says, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers. So what's he saying? He's saying, listen, whether you're married or not, if you're out there sleeping around, it doesn't end well for you. You need to repent. Right? So he's covering both bases. Like, so married people who are in sexual immorality, non-married people who are in sexual immorality. We got problems here, folks. Right? He's listing it all out. Now, if we get to the word arsenokoite, which was translated homosexual, and we believe that it's not actually homosexual behavior, but it's just promiscuous behavior, it's just men sleeping around, I guess I would have to ask you, why in the world would the Apostle Paul say the same thing three times, but now using somehow a different Greek word? See, we already have fornication on the list. And he defines it clearly. He's like, whether you're married, whether you're single, it doesn't matter. If you're out there sleeping around, we got a problem. This is against God, right? Fornication is already on the list, so it wouldn't make sense for the Apostle Paul to go find another Greek word to, in a sense, try to say the same thing, but in effect, in a lesser way. I would submit to you he wouldn't do that. He must be adding yet another form of sexual immorality, which I would also say was what he did when he named effeminate. I'm not going to talk about that today, but in effect, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's also a, a form of sexual immorality. He's giving us a very good list of sexual immorality so that we didn't get it wrong. <laughs> He's speaking, again, exclusively to men. He's saying men don't sleep with men in the marriage bed. And, and, and some of our Greek dictionaries will say, as if, uh, like a, in a feminine way, as if like with a woman. And don't do that. In other words, it's a broad prohibition on homosexual behavior. And even the very word itself is rooted all the way back in Leviticus 18, where we see a broad prohibition of homosexual behavior. Listen, there's no way around it. It would be bad. Exegesis is the study of the scripture, the deep dive into the scriptures, right? It would be bad exegesis for us to come to any other conclusion, you know? And when we find folks who are coming to those conclusions, I would say this, they one, either don't believe in the inerrancy of scripture, you know, or they don't understand how to come to the proper conclusions via their reading and their study of the scriptures. Because when you know those things, number one, we believe the Bible is inerrant in its original translation, did, 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 you know, did Greek translators and scholars, did they get a word here or there that they mixed up? Maybe. Maybe they did. I think Isaiah 53, for example, is a great uh, example of that, you know, where they, I think they got a translation just a smidge askew, right? So did, did people mess something up here or there? Yeah, but it's inerrant in its original translation. It was God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and perfect without contradiction, without issue in its original text. Guys, we have access to that. You got a question about a word? Do a deep dive. We've done a little bit of that this morning. We have access to those texts. We can look. We can understand what it meant and ultimately what the original intent was. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm going to close this out with this. Maybe I'll leave that over there. I want to look back at 1 Corinthians 6 again. And, and I want to submit to you like, like, this is how we usually, in the body of Christ, read this scripture. So, can we do that? Let's take a look, okay? 
Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators or idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate. Next slide. Nor homosexuals, nor, nor thieves, nor covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, uh, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> I tell you what, there's redemption for all of these people. But those are weirdos. <laughs> and in so doing, like, like in this process, I feel like we as the church, we've, we've isolated a group of people. And listen to this. I think it's possible that we're the reason there's an LGBT movement in the first place. Right? And, and, and what, I'm, what I'm saying is we've so isolated a certain people, we've so extracted one sin out of a list of sins, and we've made it the unpardonable sin. If you're struggling with this, you are really far off. Like you are, like Jesus, man, the cross of Christ may not be able to reach you actually. And we've pushed them so far out of the church and given so very little hope. By the way, it was hope all along that we were supposed to be preaching, wasn't it? Hey, we've so isolated and so preached against this that there's so very little hope that they have fled the churches and created a movement that now stands against the church. Why in the world do we take one sin out of a list of sins and maximize it in a way that the scripture is not maximizing it? Listen, when I first wrote this, I was like, I don't even know if he did this or not. I was like Jesus in the dirt. I started writing all your sins. I was like, let me just go through the list because I know you. Somebody smile at me. Yeah. We've been here for 13 years. So unless you're new, we know of your skeletons. We know of your struggles. And we know that some of you are on that list. And I wrote them out, man. I see them, I'm like, you know, and I threw it away and I wrote it again. I added some new stuff and I threw that away. And I wrote it again a little softer. But the point is, why? Thieves, liars, covetous. You know what it means to covet? In its simplest definition, it means you're not satisfied with what you have because you saw what your neighbor had. How many hands? Come on. But I only did that once. Yeah, every time you got a new car. <laughs> right? I mean, like, I mean, if we just take 10 seconds to look internally at things like gluttony. Oof. <laughs> you know how many Americans are, are overweight? We're the most overweight generation that's ever been. You know, gluttony. Does that even does that make it to our lists anymore? Doesn't make it to. Our, you know what we act? I was thinking about this on the way over. We actually brag about our ability to eat too much. Oh, Thanksgiving coming up. Well, we Father's Day. Let's just pick on today. Oh boy, some of you you're gonna have to repent before you get that hamburger. You know, it's just like, oh, load me up. I'm gonna eat two plates, which about a half a plate probably was an appropriate portion, for being honest. 
You're going to go in for two. And somewhere in the middle, you're going to go, it's too good. And I don't like leftovers, but we're going in for three. We're going in for three plates today. Because we're Father's Day, you know what? 364 days we've been at this business, and we earned four hamburgers. That's what we earned today. I mean, we've got to be honest with ourselves, right? And it's so easy for us to look at ourselves and to excuse our own sin, even you who have been Christian and saved forever. It's easy for us to excuse our own sins and to get to a place where we're very comfortable with them. And we're very comfortable with the people who would have those sins coming through the front door of the church. Like, how you doing? Yeah, glad to meet you, brother. That's what the struggle. You know, you're going to overeat at Christmas and Thanksgiving like we do every year. I know it, man. I'm going to eat till I hurt. I'm going to pass out like one of the old people before the football game. Like, I'm just going to stuff myself to the game. I'm looking forward to it. You're looking forward to sinning. That's great. And we applaud it. That's good. That's good. See, we've gotten very comfortable with certain things, but when other sins walk through the door that we're less comfortable with, we go, oh, hey, yeah, hey, yeah. Did you see that? I wonder if Pastor Sean saw that that homosexual walked through the door of the church. Hey, you know, I, I, bet, I bet he's not doing anything about it. Oh, some of you feeling convicted. I bet he didn't. I bet he's doing nothing. You know what? I bet he's in sin himself. He probably struggles with it. The rumors are crazy. <laughs> but I wonder how all of you would feel. If I began to expose your sins, I wonder how all of you would feel if I said, "No, no, no, no! You can't call. You can't. You can't serve coffee unless you get all that crap worked out." <laughs> Rake the lawn. <laughs> We're gonna have to have a meeting. We're gonna have to talk about all that sin in your life before you can pick up a rake. I know nobody else is doing that around here. All right, it's getting too personal, sorry. But isn't it personal for a reason? Doesn't it bite a little bit, like, for a reason? Why is it that we scream homosexual, but we don't scream glutton? Why is it we scream homosexual, but we don't, we don't scream divorcee? Why is it we scream homosexual, but we don't talk about the contentious person who's causing strife? By the way, that's one of the things God said he hates. <laughs> Just saying. And listen, if, if, if we're going to reach a community of people, we're going to need to begin to operate in the same grace that we operate in so many other areas, with the same level of compassion, quite frankly, that we hope that others will afford us. Listen, there's a reason most Christians come through the door and they're like, how you doing? I'm great, brother. <laughs> I'm great. I mean, literally all hell is breaking loose. Everything's falling apart. I am great. Why? Because we've made the church a place of shame. <laughs> last, I was to, last I read in the Bible said something about him taking my shame. It was for freedom that he set me free. Am I reading the right scriptures? <laughs> like he's done something about it that, you know, all of us, listen, we're on a journey. Are we not on a journey? We're on a journey. And I'll tell you this. I know for a fact in my own journey that day one of salvation, I wasn't amazing. <laughs> I still had some thinking that needed to get fixed. How about you? Yeah, I already know about you. <laughs> and we all still have some thinking that needs to get fixed, don't we? Right? Now, I want you to imagine yourself just for a second. Feeling like you were born the wrong gender and believing with every fabric of your being that that's truth. 
or being born attracted to a different sex or the same sex, maybe that's a better way to say it, right? And believing with every fabric of your being, listen, that that is your identity. And then now being born into a culture that promotes it, that says that's normal, that's right, that has churches that say that's normal, that's right, they're wrong about the scriptures. And I want you to imagine the wrestling match and the journey that you would be, how painful, how difficult and arduous and potentially how long that healing process could look like when that's you struggling with those issues. Is it possible that we need to create a space for people to encounter Jesus and to get healed versus expecting them on day one of salvation to have all their stuff worked out? And I just want to say, Harvest, that's who I want to be here. You know, and, and do we, you know, do we, do we let people in a lifestyle of sin take the stage and lead people and do all that? No, we don't do that, right? We do operate with wisdom. Jesus is wisdom also. And there are certain things that are very clear in Scripture. That would be one of them I would submit to you. Very clear leadership guidelines. So I, I'm not going to let you come preach from the stage, but I'm, I'm, prob- I'm going a little too much. <laughs> I'm doing a little too much. I would just say, it's my heart to say, I'll just say this is me. It's my heart to say, you want to rake the leaves? Rake the leaves, man. I'll take the help. That's great. And while you're raking those leaves, you know, maybe you'll receive some discipleship from me. Maybe we can do it together, shoulder to shoulder. And maybe I'll learn something from you. You can learn something from me about what this book says. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Rather than being like, no, I am scared to death of this issue. Get behind me. You know, we're not going to reach people that way. Kids are very excited about this sermon. <laughs> Is, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> All right, that's enough said. It's not a license to sin. It's not a license to stay in your sin. You know, but it is freedom to actually engage with a family of people to work that sin out. Can you stay there? Absolutely not. If you want to stay there in your sin, I do question your salvation. Because when you get saved and you fall in love with the one who I've fallen in love with, your desires begin to change. They begin to come into alignment with his desires. And his desire is that you would be fully set free out of your prisons, of which there are probably many. You know, It's not a license to stay that way. If you want to stay that way, I question the transaction. You probably need to go back. Get on your face until your thinking begins to change, until your desires begin to change. Cry out for mercy. It's not a license to stay where he found you. It's a license to step into a journey with the people who understand and who can help. Amen? Jesus, we thank you for the grace that you have afforded each of us on our journey. I thank you for the way that you have been so cautious and uh, beautiful and your approach to rooting sin out of my own heart. You didn't just take a shotgun and just blast it all and say, get better now. You've just kind of worked with me over the years, and I've gotten better. Thank you for that journey. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your kindness that's demonstrated in that. Thank you for your compassion 
Even that you sent Jesus, it says, to be a high priest, and in that he would identify with our weaknesses. Thank you for that. Thank you for identifying with my weakness. Thank you for partnering with me for my betterment. Thank you for disciplining me as a father. It says you love those who you discipline. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving us, God. Thank you for creating a space where I could grow where I could mature and become like you in your time, in your way, in your perfect design. Now, Jesus, I'm asking that you would allow us, that you would allow me to walk like you walk, to act like you act, to think like you think, to move in the same compassion that you moved with for sinners and for people that are broken and hurting who need a physician. Help us, Jesus. Help us not to magnify something that you're not magnifying. Help us not to diminish something that you're not diminishing. We want to hit the target. We want to hit the bullseye. We want to do your will on this earth. We thank you for the grace in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like to contact us or would like more information about our church or additional podcasts or resources, please visit us online at harvestwarrensburg.com. We hope to see you soon.